Hey, this is Dan, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast where I talk legal stuff with lawyers that I know, like, and trust. I hope you find the information really useful, and if you need legal help, that you reach out to one of these lawyers directly or drop by lawbydan.com, and I can steer you in the right direction. Here is your podcast. Estate planning is a complex area of law, and a common question people often ask is what assets actually fall within the ambit of the estate plan? Well, today I'm with Elise Jakes and an estate planning lawyer from Big Law. Elise, we have previously discussed how important estate planning is, but what assets actually form part of your estate when you die? That's actually a really important question, Dan, and something everyone should understand as part of their estate planning. Um, to put it simply, whether an asset forms part of your estate will actually depend on the type of asset and how you own it. Um, take your main residence or your principal place of residence, for example. Generally, spouses will own the house as joint tenants. What this means is that if you own your house together as joint tenants, you own it, but you don't own a distinct share or interest. Um, it then means that there is a rule of survivorship and the house will pass to the survivor of you, essentially. So what is the difference if I own my own house uh, you know, as tenants in common with my spouse? What's the difference? If you own your house as tenants in common with your spouse, then it means that you own the house together, but you actually each own a distinct share of the property. Um, there's also no rule of survivorship for property owned as tenants in common. What this means is that on your death, your interest in the house would pass in accordance with the terms of your will, or if you died without a will, then it would pass in accordance with the laws of intestacy. So if I own assets jointly with, say, another person, uh, they will not form part of my estate? Is that how it works? That's correct, Dan. If you own assets as joint tenants or jointly such as bank accounts or shares, then it means there's a right of survivorship and those assets will pass to the surviving owner. If you are the surviving owner, however, then on your death, those assets would pass either in accordance with the terms of your will or the rules of intestacy if you didn't have a will. Now, suppose some people may ask the question that if they own uh, a property but not in the type of tenancy that they want, are they able to change it? Yes, Dan. There are ways to um, sever a tenancy or to either transfer property that you own to a spouse to own it as tenants in common. Um, if you own your main residence solely, then you can transfer, say, a one-half share to your spouse to own that either as joint tenants or tenants in common in equal shares. Now, we've talked about property, but there are a bunch of other assets uh, that, that we accumulate in our life. Now, what happens to them and how do they form part of an estate? So, generally, some assets don't form part of your estate automatically, um, such as superannuation death benefits they don't generally form part of your estate. In most cases, your super will be paid in accordance with either a binding death benefit nomination if you've done one, or if you haven't done one, then the trustee of your superannuation fund may actually have the discretion to decide where your death benefits are paid um, when you die. So that can be to a spouse, a child, or um, even a dependent. If the trustee, though, does decide to pay your death benefits to your estate, then it would actually be distributed in accordance with the terms of the, your will, or again, if you don't have a will, then the rules of intestacy. So if I made a non-binding nomination, will my super fund pay my death benefits to my nominated beneficiary? 
If you've made a non-binding nomination, then the trustee of your super fund may pay your death benefits to the nominated beneficiary, but they're not actually bound to do so um, because the nomination is non-binding. Um, the trustee similarly is actually not bound to follow any preferred beneficiary nomination or any of the wishes that are set out in your will. Um, that's why we recommend you make sure that you have a valid binding death benefit nomination in place for your superannuation, which means the trustee would actually be bound to follow it in the event of your death. Um, it's also important that you keep any of these binding death benefit nominations up to date as some of them lapse every three years. What happens is if you forget to update your nomination and it has lapsed, then it will revert to being a non-binding nomination. What that means again is the trustee um, of your super fund may have the discretion to decide who receives your death benefits in those circumstances. What about the proceeds that might fall out of an insurance policy? Your insurance policy will be similar to your superannuation. So if you've nominated a beneficiary of that insurance policy, then generally any proceeds would be paid to that nominated beneficiary. Um, with some insurance products, though, it's important to pay attention to who is the actual owner of the policy and whose life is being insured. Now, for some people that might be, you know, asking the question that, you know, they've got assets that, that they consider won't form part of their, their estate, is it really necessary for them to obtain a will? Dan, it's still really important that they have a will in place. Um, the will would deal with any assets that they own individually um, or which would form part of their estate. For example, if the superannuation death benefits were paid to their estate for distribution or again, if they were the surviving owner of any of the jointly owned assets that we've previously discussed. Elise, uh, often in the context of estate planning, people do leave this uh, whole topic, um, you know, a little too late. Uh, I, I suspect that you would encourage people uh, to get a hold or a grip of this uh, sooner rather than later. I would, Dan. Um, we obviously recommend that you have your estate planning documents in place, whether that's a will um, or an enduring power of attorney as well. And we also recommend that you review them every 12 months. While you don't have to see us every 12 months, it's important that you have a review of them to make sure that they still reflect your current wishes and obviously your current circumstances. Elise, thanks for joining me. That's no problem. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find me on all social channels, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube with the handle Law by Dan, or simply drop by lawbydan.com. Thanks.